Acts chapter 20, from verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own souls will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to necessities and to those who are with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This evening we're considering why we can be confident the kingdom of God will continue to grow today. And I guess in the first instance, continue to grow after the apostolic age. Um, United really didn't recover or haven't recovered yet since Ferguson has left. Uh, people say Apple has sold their soul to profit since Steve Jobs left. How will South Africa fare after Razi Erasmus leaves now? And how will the church survive after Paul? We're in a final and climactic section of Acts, which began at chapter 19, verse 21, and continues to the end of the book. And it's in a section that, in my experience, has been neglected in the teaching of Acts which I think is a bit crazy when you think about it, because it takes up nearly a third of the book. And it's brought home even more when we see the similarities between the climactic section in both Luke and Acts. Um, They both feature an individual, the Lord Jesus in Luke and Paul in Acts, determined to go to Jerusalem. They both suffer. They both have four trials um, before the Jewish council, before Roman authorities, and before a Herod. They're both shown to have done nothing wrong, and are miraculously vindicated, brought from death to life, demonstrating they've fulfilled the promises 
and purposes of God. I think you can go as far as saying that to try and understand Acts without the ending is like trying to understand the Gospels without the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It certainly feels like virgin territory for me. So I hope in the next few weeks it will be a very important time of discovery, uh, at least for me and maybe uh, for us all. Now, in one sense, I can see um, why this section has been neglected. We might be forgiven in thinking that we're basically done by the time we get to chapter 19, verse 20. The disciples ask Jesus in chapter 1, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And the program is laid out in chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to his apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly how it happened. Acts is like a, a bit like an old school linear computer game before the open world stuff came out. Um, the main character is the Lord Jesus and his primary weapon is his word. And he goes through the levels by beating the big bosses consecutively. So chapter 6 verse 7, the gospel word conquers in Jerusalem. By 1224, the gospel word has reunited Judea and Samaria and conquered there. And we saw a few weeks ago, it conquered to the very ends of the earth. In the midst of the nations in Ephesus in 19 verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And there's no other concluding statement after that about the word of God growing. So that sounds like 100% completion, doesn't it? And what's this last whole third of the book doing? Well, the scene is set in the first verse of our new section. Back in 1921, it says this. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So the spirit of God sends Paul off on a farewell tour, which will ultimately go through Jerusalem and Rome. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the significance of those locations in the purposes of God for Paul. And his service of Jesus will be conclusively shown to be the true theological fulfillment of God's promises. And his service of Jesus will be shown to be able to conquer on the bigger stage, even triumphing over the final boss, taking on Sauron in Mordor, and the gospel will triumph in Caesar's city in Rome. And Luke will give us supreme confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we get there, uh, a few key things he establishes and um, before this post-apostolic age begins. Um, the first is the context the church is to continue to operate in. We saw that depicted in a riot a few weeks ago, where the gospel is opposed by the idolatry, uh, by confusion, and by crowd mentality in the world. And we need to remember that here, because it, didn't, it certainly didn't feel inevitable in the first century that the kingdom would continue to grow after the work of the apostles. And if we've been following Jesus for any length of time, and we'll certainly recognize that feeling of instability now. But after the context is set, chapter 20, we enter the classroom. Last week, Paul gave us a worked example of what it looks like to serve the Lord Jesus in practice after he's gone. And our verses, he sits us down and he teaches us that in principle. It's a very significant moment in Paul's farewell tour. It's his farewell speech to the church, his valedictory address to the people of God. It's the only um, long speech recorded uh, that Paul gives to the church in Acts. 
And the most famous um, farewell address in modern times is probably uh, published by George Washington, uh, the first president of the United States in 1796. It spoke about his record as president, consolidated that. He gave warnings about the future, and he sort of set a little vision forward for the future of the republic. And Paul does a similar thing as he departs, um, but for the kingdom of God. So verse 25, he says, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So this is the last time we'll ever see these um, church leaders. And first he recounts his apostolic witness to them. Then he gives an apostolic warning before he shows his supreme confidence in the apostolic word. So let's dive into these parting words um, to the church of God. The first is Paul's apostolic witness in verses 17 to 21. Now, this is the definitive model for kingdom work in the world, a proof uh, and a pattern. As we read again, verses 18, 21, what would you say are the key aspects of Paul's work? Verse 18, you yourselves know how long, how I lived among you uh, the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching to you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of the repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spent two years uh, in Ephesus uh, with, in Asia uh, with the Ephesians. And this is what they saw. They saw a man who, who is defined by his service of the Lord Jesus in all humility, and not trying to seek his own agenda, with tears, with a heartfelt compassion for those he was with, and with trials facing significant opposition. But amidst all those pressures and difficulties, he can say with a clear conscience that he did not shrink back from declaring what was profitable. Now, I'm sure there are moments when he was speaking in the hall of Tyrannus or in the Costa Coffee in Ephesus High Street or wherever he was and just before he spoke he might have prayed something like this he might have prayed if I say this about you Lord Jesus and this is going to hurt and please help me not shrink back or times when he met with a house church potentially and he declared what it was like or what it should be like to live in light of the lordship of Jesus Christ as believers in the area of our sex lives and I wonder if he's tempted to think gosh it'd be easier if I didn't have to say this Um, But he said it anyway because of his commitment to serving the cause of the Lord Jesus and his love for the people there. He faithfully declared in public and in gatherings from house to house um, anything that was profitable uh, about the Lord Jesus. His message is summarized in verse 21, that now Jesus reigns as Lord of all, all people can repent, can turn back to God and can trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Paul reminds the Ephesians of his apostolic witness, and this is the message, and this is the method to see the kingdom grow. In verse 22, 25, Paul next explains his part in the drama is coming to a close, and we'll come on to those trials in the next few weeks. But just for now, isn't it striking what Paul really values in verse 24? He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I was just thinking uh, this week, just imagine the impact uh, if just all of us in this room, if we grew significantly, uh, me included, in following that example, if we held very lightly to our own life plans and had as our number one priority the question, how can I shape my life so I maximize how I can profitably speak about the Lord Jesus? But as Paul steps onto that boat, away from Asia for the very last time, given all the pressures, remember that riot in Ephesus, how will the Ephesians and every church since then keep on track and with that kingdom work without him? How do they not do a Man United or an Apple? Well, to prepare them, Paul first gives them an apostolic warning. And as Paul is handing on the baton to the post-apostolic age, he begs us to heed this key warning. And the warning comes in the context of three different watches. Uh, The first is Paul's watch as an apostle. Notice that imagery he uses in verses 25 to 27. He says, and now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Being innocent of blood, it's an imagery of the watchman on the city gates. Um, Think some medieval drama or something like that. And the watchman's job in the day and in the long dark hours of the night is to watch out for incoming enemies. And when they do see hostile forces gathering on the horizon, to warn those in the city of the danger to come so they can prepare, make a defense, or whatever it is. Now, if the watchman falls asleep and doesn't announce the enemy's arrival, and the enemies attack the city, um, the watchman has blood on his hands because he failed to do his job. But by saying he is innocent of the blood of all, Paul is saying that he fully done his job in preparing the church for what's ahead. He has done that by declaring to them the whole counsel of God, about the kingdom of God. The word counsel um, is the word for a purpose or a plan. So verse 27 here, it speaks of the whole plan of God in the context of verse 25 um, in proclaiming the kingdom of God. Paul has spelt out to the Ephesians uh, over his two-year stay, uh, and to us, I guess, in his letters and recorded teaching, everything we need to know about Jesus' kingdom and the information we need to live in light of it. He is innocent of the blood of all, as he's fully prepared us for what's to come. That's Paul's watch. And as he leaves the scene, it leads on to the church's watch, which Paul puts in absolutely remarkable terms in verse 25. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves, or, or watch yourselves, and to the whole flock of God, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. For the leaders of the church he was speaking to, it starts with themselves. How can they expect to shepherd anyone else if they can't shepherd themselves? And how can they pay attention to anyone else? And how can they live in line with the whole counsel of God and tell other people to do it um, if they're not doing it themselves? Um, Is their life shaped by God's plans and what God values? Is any part of their life not in line with the fact that Jesus is Lord and will return. 
uh, in our Read, Mark, Learn Bible studies, um, how can, for example, how can leaders watch out for others if they're not watching out for themselves? What is sometimes called pastoral care uh, is not a Christianized version of counseling. It's not a spiritual therapy session. It is the bread and butter of encouraging one another with the plans of God in the word of God about the grace of God. Helping one another to know and to live in line with the reality of the grace that's appeared in the Lord Jesus. And notice just how much value the Lord places on every individual sheep. Now, just for a moment, um, I want you to think about uh, the person you find most annoying uh, in this room. who's just really difficult to get along with, to work with. Now, we can't all choose Tim Shepard. Okay, <laughs> sorry, Tim. Um, so think carefully. For whoever that person is, Tim or, or someone else, um, every single sheep, the Lord says, every single sheep was obtained um, with the Lord's own blood. That is the value the Lord Jesus places on every one of his sheep, every one in our RML group, and he expects us to value them like that as well. I wonder if we ever thought about it like that, or what realignments we need to make as we're reminded of that truth. Um, the church's watch. And the importance of that is emphasized uh, even further in the last part of the warning. And there also needs to be a wolf watch in verses 29 to 31. And unfortunately, I think the seriousness of these verses can be muted to us because of fairy tale associations. But also I wonder if sometimes, well, it's maybe true of me at least, we don't really care that much about false teachers, which really shows that we can be a bit naive and frankly uncaring about the spiritual lives taken and blood spilt as a result of that. Um, if we're sick of hearing, uh, maybe some of us are sick of hearing a bit about uh, the Church of England and the direction that the leadership of them are taking, maybe think of the impact on God's sheep that that will have in the months and years to come. How seriously do you think Paul takes those who twist the word of God here? Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul warns that those from without the Ephesian church, and perhaps even more scarily, and those who will come from among them, there'll be people who will twist the word of God and lead them away from his grace. And we've been warned to be alert to that, uh, to be alert to it. There's been countless examples of it um, over the last 1900 years, from teaching on purgatory to a definite day of the Lord's return. Or we might think, for example, what we've been warned about in recent weeks, how people have twisted what Acts says um, to make out there's some sort of second blessing from the Holy Spirit that Christians need to pursue. It can, compare, it can appear convincing, it's based on verses from the Bible, but it's twisted, as we heard, and it only leads at best to a two-tier Christianity and a lack of assurance. It's something I feel quite personally strong about, um, because I've seen teachings that stem from that, uh, shipwrecking, shipwrecking uh, the faith of some of my uh, close friends, and it's really wobbled me in the past as well. And I'm so thankful to those um, who followed Paul's example in my life, um, whether from a pulpit or in private, 
who've cared for me enough to not shrink back from admonishing me uh, on this issue and help me bring back, uh, bring me back in line with the word of God's grace. So we've had the apostolic witness, we've had the apostolic warning. But how can we be confident that this project of the church, of building the kingdom, is actually going to work? You certainly can't put all your confidence in leaders um, in these verses. Some of them will end up leading people astray. Paul even says in just over a decade's time in 2 Timothy that all of Asia have abandoned the apostles' witness. And people in my position, uh, people who have spoken from this very pulpit, in fact, have gone on to do that, um, to teach twisted things. We do not put our trust in princes. uh, So where should our confidence be found? And for Paul, it's found in the apostolic word. That's our our third uh, and final climactic moment in the speech. Paul's key verse in the speech, beginning verse 32. And it really underpins uh, the first two points as well. The apostolic word, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is where Paul's confidence lies, in God and his agent in the world, the word of his grace. Just as God's words prevail mightily to the ends of the earth, it is also powerful to keep building the church and to bring us home to the inheritance prepared for us. And Paul does not set his hope on particular programs or polity or individual people. And all of those things can fail. And even in these few verses, we see it won't always be easy or straightforward for churches. Um, I was speaking a little while back to Henry, uh, who helps lead our Mandarin uh, speaking work here about this. Part of his work is visiting uh, and staying in touch with churches in China. And it's always absolutely thrilling to hear about the word of God prevailing there. But one of the things that slightly concerns him is that as churches, as they're quite young churches in China, begin to come into their first bouts of serious difficulty um, with false teaching and opposition springing up from even among them, there seems to be a temptation to think that there's a silver bullet in some sort of structural solution. But if we just organize our church in a certain way, or if the leaders have this particular rigorous training, and then we bid immune from this sort of troubles. Well, Paul's confidence is not in people or programs, but if we can put it like this, um, in the raw word of God, in the word of his grace. And there's so much we could say here, and I know the students have been away the whole weekend uh, thinking about this, and we heard a lot about the centrality of the word uh, for the Christian life and for church life last week. So I'll just note one thing here. Um, Paul can be confident for lots of reasons, but one reason, I think, is that this is exactly how the Lord promised he would work when his grace appeared. Um, He spoke um, 700 years before about that very time, and he said through the prophet Isaiah uh, about when his grace appeared. Uh, We sung the words earlier. He said, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's why Paul can entrust the church to the word of God's grace, because that's how God said uh, he would work. He would accomplish 
his purpose. And in Paul's mind, in those last few verses, there's nothing more valuable than knowing the Lord through his word and helping others to know him. He finishes his speech by reminding them of that fact. So verse 33, Paul said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Silver, gold, and apparel, it's a bit like us saying pounds and property and pensions are what Luke elsewhere calls the cares of this world. The last warning Paul leaves for Christians is not to get our priorities wrong. It's so easy to spend our time as scrolling and desiring what we deem is the prosperity of our peers. But Paul explains that real prosperity is the privilege of being able to provide for yourself and others as we serve the plan of God and the word of his grace. Just as we close, I've been thinking this week, and what would it be going through Paul's mind as he steps onto that ship? And what do you think he'd be thinking? Obviously, there's some sadness at the parting. It's quite a moving scene there, isn't it? And perhaps some nervousness about how the Ephesian church would cope going forward. But in the light of what he said, I wonder if ultimately a quiet confidence in the word of God to achieve the plans of God for the kingdom of God. And Paul's confidence has undoubtedly proven true, hasn't it? Over the last 2,000 years, even though um, church planting and building have not been straightforward, to say the least, individual churches have risen and fallen, walls have come in, and worldly worries at points have predominated and to appear to have won spiritual battles. But the word of God's grace has ultimately been winning and will win the war. And the kingdom has continued to grow. And around the world today, sheep are being won and kept in ways. I bet those Ephesian elders back in Miletus, uh, 1900 odd years ago, they could have barely imagined um, how Paul's confidence would prove true. And let's pray that we'd share Paul's confidence and continue to be part of the kingdom growth here as well. Let me listen in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of your grace that completely undeservedly you bought us with the blood of your son. And we can be sure of that as you've raised him from the dead to rule your kingdom forever. Please help us be a church that follows Paul's example of declaration, of paying attention to stay in line with your purpose and of confidence in the power of your word, of your grace, that we might see many people believe in Jesus and be built up to receive the inheritance you prepared for all your saints. Amen.